Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 verse 26, it's on page 1457 and the Bible's provided for you. So during Advent, we've been um, doing sermons um, titled The Mothers of Jesus. And we've been looking at four of the five women who are listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And we're doing this for a few different reasons. First of all, um, historically, women were never included in genealogies like this one. So during this time of history, a, a family's bloodline or a family's lineage was only caught, thought to come through the men of the family, which seems very, very strange to us. And it, and it is very strange, but that's the way it was thought of, is it bloodlines just came through the men of the family. But Matthew includes five women, and it was unprecedented and beautiful. So, and then secondly, the stories of each one of these five women are scandalous for one reason or another. And yet, Matthew makes a point to reference these women in the genealogy, and then by extension, to make reference to their scandals. Um, he, while he's introducing Jesus in this genealogy. So he's, he's, he's bringing scandal into the story of Jesus before he starts to tell the story of Jesus. Why would he do that? And then third, each one of these mothers of Jesus, whether they meant to or not, were revealing something about Jesus, even thousands or hundreds of years before he arrived. You can hear echoes of Jesus in each one of the stories of these women, and it's really quite remarkable. So this morning, we're concluding um, the series by looking at the final woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, who is Mary, um, the mother of Jesus. So Luke 1, starting at verse 26, uh, we're going to read right up to Mary's song, which is otherwise known as the Magnificat. We would read that this morning because it's so wonderful, but we're not going to read it because we're going to sing it a little bit later. During communion, we're going to sing it together. So Luke 1, starting at verse 26. Listen to God's word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered her uncle Zachariah's home and greeted her aunt Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who was John the Baptist, by the way, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is the word of the Lord. Mary is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Easily top five. But I wish that we knew more about her because as, um, as important as she is and as impressive as she is, we don't get to know her very well in Scripture. And it's a shame because, frankly, she's one of a kind, right? No one else in all of history was ever asked to do what she was asked to do. Somebody said to me once, there aren't a lot of annunciations these days, are there? No, no, there's not. That was a one-time thing. Who could look Mary in the eye and be like, I know what it's like, Mary. I know what it's like to be you. Nobody can say that. There is no support group for women who have borne the Messiah. Uh, and it's a shame that we don't get to know Mary better in Scripture because it seems like there's just so much there uh, every story about her, every word that comes from her mouth in Scripture is just so captivating to me. Uh, in fact, a lot of people like to say that Mary was the first, was the world's first Christian, that she was the world's first Christ follower, because she was the first person to hear the name of the Messiah, Jesus, and the first person to, to kind of recalibrate her own life to make room for Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, not only did she have to make room for Jesus, like, physically, like, gestationally, if that's a word, but she also had to make room for him spiritually. Think about all of the ways that Mary had to make room for Jesus. She had to make room for Jesus. So, this is the case with... Uh, any mother and any child, like mothers have to make room for their children. This is just what happens. But Mary had to do this in a way that no other mother had to do for their child. Mary's case was very special. So in this text, Mary is trying to wrap her mind around everything that was going on. She was trying to, to, to wrap her mind around the fact that First, there's an, there's an angel standing in front of her. Second, she's pregnant. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> That's kind of a thing. She's suddenly pregnant. 
And then third, that she is carrying in herself the child of God, the son of God. Now let's just pause there for a second. This is just craziness, people. It's craziness. Uh, I read a commentator this week who said that each one of those three things must have seemed totally impossible to Mary. That there's, first, there's this angel in front of her. Secondly, that she's pregnant. And third, that she's pregnant with the Son of God. Each one of those three things must have seemed totally impossible, but each of them also were exponentially more impossible than the last. So first, she's standing here in front of this angel, which is totally crazy. She had never had that before. Uh, it felt impossible to believe. And then secondly, even more impossible was that she was pregnant. <laughs> it's surprising to get pregnant when you think you might be pregnant. Mary, when she woke up that morning, she believed in angels. She had a frame for understanding that angels might exist. She did not have a frame for helping her to understand that she might be pregnant if she had never been with someone before. So this was exponentially more impossible for her to believe and then even more than that, even more impossible than that, than this angel speaking to her, even more impossible than the fact that she was pregnant was that this angel said that God had become a fetus and that that fetus was growing inside of her uterus. That was exponentially the most impossible thing to believe. Now, Theologically, we have a word to describe something like this. Theologically, there's a word for this. This kind of thinking that God could become a human being and develop in the womb of a woman. There's a word for this. It's called blasphemy. Blasphemy. It's absolutely, it was sacrilegious, this idea. It was profanity of the worst kind. It was blasphemy. Of all the unbelievable things that Mary was told that day, the most unbelievable thing that was that God would ever lower himself in such a despicable way. See, we forget this, folks. We forget this because the incarnation has been normalized to us. We walk around in a world that is post-incarnation, and boy, do we. Like, it just seems kind of normal to us. We forget about the blasphemy of the incarnation. If there was one thing that Mary knew about God when she woke up that morning, if there was one thing that she had been taught about God over and over and over and over again, it was that God is holy. And because God is holy, God can be nowhere near human beings. God and humanity are incompatible. Humanity cannot handle the holiness of God. So like Mary grew up and she was taught the story of Moses. Moses one day got way too big for his britches and he was like, hey God, can I see your face? And God was like, that would kill you. Mary grew up and she knew the story of Uzzah. Do you remember the story of Uzzah? He's kind of obscure. Poor old Uzzah. 
He was, he was moving the Ark of the Covenant. You know the thing from the Indiana Jones movie? He was moving the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another, and, and he reached out his hand to touch the Ark of the Covenant just to steady the thing, and he dropped dead because God and humanity were incompatible. And if Mary knew anything about God, it was that he was holy. She knew that humanity could not handle the holiness of God. So to suggest, it's laughable, to suggest that God would become human is ludicrous. And then to suggest that a 15-year-old girl could carry to term this, what do you even call it, God fetus? In her body? It's crazy. It's foolishness. Is profanity to the worst degree. Think about all of the ways that Mary had to make room in her life for Jesus. Not just physically, but also, maybe even more so, spiritually, theologically. Jesus undercut and interrupted everything that Mary knew about the world, everything that Mary knew about God. He destroyed her systematic theology. Destroyed it. So maybe you noticed how, how Mary responded when the angel was telling her what was going on. Um, she showed a lot of courage, right? Mary <laughs> has incredible courage. She's an incredible person. And she showed courage, but also she showed a lot of doubt. If your Bibles are open, look at verse 28. So here's how this goes down. Listen, listen carefully. It says, The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Then it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Isn't that interesting? So, if somebody came up to you and said, Greetings, George. You are highly favored and the Lord is with you. You probably wouldn't get super troubled about that. Right? Greetings, George. The Lord is with you and you are highly favored. I'd be like, go on. <laughs> Say more. And Mary gets nervous. <laughs> She's instantaneously critical. She's instantaneously wondering what's happening here. It says that she was troubled at the angel's words, and she wondered, she wondered at what kind of greeting this is. She's immediately doubtful. So this word, wondered, um, she wondered about what kind of, of greeting this would be. The word wondered here in the Greek, it's a, it's a skeptical word. It's a second-guessing word. The Greek word is the word Dialogizomai. Dialogizomai. You hear the word dialogue in there. Okay? So it, it meant that in her mind, she was back and forth on this thing. There were, it created this immediate internal dialogue. She was dialogizomai about this thing. She didn't quite know what to make of it. She believed and yet she doubted. And yet she believed, but she totally doubted. She didn't know what to do with this information that she was just giving. She's ping-ponging back and forth between belief and doubt. 
Mary's first reaction to the incarnation of God is grave suspicion. And so is her second. She says, excuse me, how will this be since I'm a virgin, right? Mary immediately has her suspicions, and I think that's so important for us to notice this. If she's the first Christian, if she's the first Christ follower, if she's the first person to hear the gospel in this form, and she has very immediate, very legitimate doubts, Think about all of the ways that Mary had to make room in her life for Jesus. He undercut everything. Everything. Everything she knew about the world, everything that she knew about God. When Jesus entered her life, he brought along with him all kinds of skepticism and all kinds of doubt. He took what was probably going to be a very ordinary life for Mary, and he made it extremely complex. He took what was probably going to be a very simple faith, and he made it very, very complicated. He took what was probably going to be a very sincere, very honest belief, and he made her dialogizomai. She didn't want a dialogizomai. I think... This is probably why Mary is one of my favorite Bible people. Her understanding of who Jesus is necessarily evolved throughout her whole life. Her understanding of who Jesus is evolved throughout her whole life. It's not something that she understood immediately. And it's not a reality that she submitted to perfectly And it's not something that she ever comprehended entirely. Mary was always in process. And she's a hero for it. Mary was always in process. So just before the angel leaves her in in verse 38, Mary says something really wonderful. She says something really brave. She, She takes a deep breath, And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Which is just such a beautiful profession, right? And it's a beautiful um, surrendering, if you will. But if you know the rest of Mary's story, you you know that she was not always sufficiently surrendered. (laughs) Mary was kind of a handful. She was a little bit tenacious, Mary was not a passive person. She was a very, very active person. And we begin to see this right away in Scripture. So at the end of Luke chapter 2, Jesus is 12 years old. And he decides um, that it's time for him to run away from home without asking permission. And he runs away and he goes to live in the temple. um, And and Mary is left wondering what on earth is going on. She's having to work out what on earth is going on with, with her faith. Because on the one hand, Her son is the son of God. And on the other hand, he is so grounded, right? (laughs) And she's working this thing out. And we see this again later in Jesus, right as Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, he started to say all of these things that were blasphemous. Sound familiar? 
He was saying all these things that were just terribly blasphemous, saying these profane, profane things. And Mary was hearing about this, and so she went out to find him, and she tried to drag him home from his earlobe. She's like, you're embarrassing the family. Mary was a force. She was not passive. She was not always this, oh, Lord, may it be to me as you have said. She was that for a bit, and then she wasn't. And then she was back to it for a while, but then she wasn't. You know what I'm saying? It seems like Mary might have spent her whole life in this place of dialogizomai, this wondering, this ping-ponging back and forth, wondering, doubting, questioning. And this is why she's one of my favorite Bible people, because it seems like Mary could be the patron saint of an evolving faith. You know what I mean? She could be the patron saint of an evolving faith. She had this evolving faith. Why? Because it had to be. It was either an evolving faith or no faith at all. Those were literally the choices. Jesus had undercut everything that she knew about God. So her choices were an evolving faith or no faith whatsoever. She was not afforded the simple faith of her parents and her grandparents. God had taken away what was probably going to be a very ordinary life for Mary. And he had made it terribly complex. He had taken away what was probably going to be a very simple faith for Mary. And he made it very, very complicated. He had taken away what was probably going to be a very honest, very sincere belief. And he replaced it with a faith that questioned everything. That evolved. For me, Mary is the patron saint of an evolving faith. She shows us that Jesus will make us make room for him. He will make us make room for him. She teaches us that what God brings us isn't so much things like certainty and consistency and predictability and absolutism. What Jesus brings us is much more things like Dialogizomai, <laughs> wondering, ping-ponging, questioning, evolving, and surrendering. Mary teaches us that faith is very much a process, that it's a journey, that it's a development, that it's a longing. And where Jesus leads us tomorrow is not going to be where Jesus has led us today. It's inconvenient, but it's the truth. And it's okay. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your mom. What a woman of faith. It's amazing for us to consider who she was and who she became and the process through which she went.
we thank you for her tenacity, for her questioning, for her love, for her wondering, for the ways that she pondered things and treasured them in her heart. We thank you that her faith, just like ours, is purified by you. We thank you that though our faith is not something that we can control, it is something that is a gift. We thank you for each mustard seed of faith that is here today. And we trust our mustard seeds, Jesus, to you and your coming. In your holy name we pray. Amen.